If I can get you green, make you more efficient, and save you money, <laughs> you're going to be happy. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to your podcast, the show where we know burning fossil fuels is like so 95. It's so out, it's just beyond. It might as well be in the Kyber Belt. It's so out. Yet for most remote communities around the world, using diesel generators for electricity is still in. It's still the norm. So on today's show, we'll explore how one company is weaning these type of communities off diesel fuel with an emerging new type of battery that also doesn't require mining for lithium. If you think blood diamonds are something to be avoided, have a look at lithium mining and the horrors it involves. But that's a topic for another show. Speaking of horror stories, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the doom and gloom of our age. It seems like life as an earthling has never been as bad. Wars, escalating political tensions, wave after wave of COVID variants, all with this looming climate crisis. I mean, just to name a few. So, you know, it just always feels like we're on the brink of disaster and we're never going to come back from it. This has us, you know, clicking on news items and doom scrolling through the late stage capitalism subreddit. And it's not good for our mental outlook. Believe me, I've been there. So that's why we created Earthlings 2.0. It's a place where we can imagine better versions of ourselves a place where we can amplify the great work average people are doing around the world and help them share their knowledge with us so that you know we can be more intentional about the timeline we live on. Do we want a Mad Max world or do we want a Star Trek world? Frankly, I will take replicators beaming down to planets and currency not existing. To accomplish this, Earthlings 2.0 is produced by a small group of passionate individuals that share this same vision, and we want to use our skills and talents in storytelling and broadcasting to contribute to a better future. Which is why, here it comes, we invite you to become a member of our Patreon. We're planning on launching some exclusive content for members, and for only $5 a month, you can become a part of our growing community of changemakers. In fact, for the first person that becomes our Patreon member, I will send you a free t-shirt. How do you like that? I've got this t-shirt that I've been designing. I'm super excited about it. And I will send you one if you help break the ice on our Patreon page. And if you're not in a position to do that right now, it's completely okay. You can support our show by leaving us a review on your podcast app. And that's going to help other earthlings like you find the show and get some hope for the future that they're longing for. And now a short message from the Resource Labs Network. What do the Atlantic island of Tristan de Cunha, Egypt's Siwa Oasis, and the Grise Ford in Canada have in common? They and hundreds of other towns around the world are very likely running their electrical grids on diesel generators. Globally, over 600 million earthlings live in these remote communities that are not connected to their national grids. In Canada, that's roughly 200,000 earthlings using diesel for fuel. On top of this, in Australia, 30% of the country's conventional power generation is diesel powered. 
Now, 70 years ago, running a town on diesel was a practical solution. It was a time when renewable energy and storage didn't exist the way they do today, and there were a lot of pros for diesel generators. But there's a lot of cons too. They produce numerous toxic byproducts like benzene and arsenic and formaldehyde, not to mention the carbon emissions and the potential diesel spills. Plus, there's the high costs of diesel fuel that just keeps going up for these towns that are already facing high prices for everything else because everything has to be shipped or flown in. And then, of course, the diesel has to be shipped and flown in. So that has its own fuel costs and its own emissions. You can see where I'm going with this. There has to be a better way. And that's why on today's show, we're talking to somebody who's actively working in Alaska to transition that state's remote towns off diesel using a more advanced form of battery storage. It's a technology that stores energy electrostatically, not chemically, like lithium ion. And it's showing a lot of promise. Our guide on this away mission is Marty Schneider. He's the president and CEO of Supercapacitor Energy, and he has a long career supporting the telecommunications industry to power their remote locations. And in his latest venture, he's parlaying that knowledge into powering all types of locations that are too isolated to connect directly to the power grid. Well, right now, most, um, if you're a remote community, and and this really goes for just about anywhere in the world, um, islands, Majorca, Alaska, <laughs> South America, you know, all over, um, communities have their own power plants. And those power plants are most commonly diesel generators. Diesel is very commonly available internationally. Um, it's efficient um, way to make energy, and that's how most villages create power. So in these situations, these communities haven't, uh, maybe they didn't need enough power to justify um, maybe a, a centralized um, energy plant on on some other type of fossil fuel like natural gas or coal, and so they, they instead use diesel generators to power their communities. Coal is um, very bulky to transport. Coal, coal has a high energy coefficient. So for, you know, the, the amount of mass that's there, it actually is a decent source of energy. Um, but we all know the drawbacks of coal. So using diesel, uh, diesel generators to power entire um, communities, you know, um, it at the time when that was really the only thing that was uh, that was the best solution at the time, uh, for the available technology, right? Yeah. Um, but what sort of challenges are these communities facing now? Well, rising cost of fuel is a big one. And communities' power demands are, are going up. And so um, along with the rising costs, they, they require more. And, um, and then when you have that kind of infrastructure, um, you have a embedded maintenance cost. These uh, these generators have a lot of maintenance. The older they they get, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it you know it's a gas engine. Just think about your car. You know, runs great for the first couple of years. You know, and then you start being you know hearing sounds and stuff like that. 
<laughs> yeah, so, you know, that's uh, yeah very common, especially if you're running around the clock. I mean, think about your car, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're not driving your car 24-7. These generators are running 24-7. They are getting used. So it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Are they more efficient if you just keep running them all the time versus stopping and starting? That's a double-edged sword. That, you know, uh, stopping and starting can be hard on machinery, but it's a, by the same token, it depends on what that interval or that cycle is. It's not mm-hmm. hard on your car to drive your car to work and then park it, you know, and it sits for, you know, whatever, eight hours, you know, and then you get in it and you drive home, it sits overnight. That's not what I would call a, you know, a- excessive wear. Mm-hmm. Driving your car for the whole time you were at work <laughs> or 24 hours would be obviously much more wear. It, um, Engines don't like to be started and stopped, started and stopped frequently, and um, that does have a negative impact on wear. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because I think I think people hear the the concept that there's still communities around the world that are using uh, diesel fuel for their energy. I think people are often shocked because it seems like it seems like an inefficient use of that resource, and it seems like there's better things. Uh, better, better solutions out there that people could be using. Um, why haven't we seen more of these uh, remote communities switching over to better solutions besides diesel? This this gets into sort of the storage story, but the simple answer to your question is people, are, you know, switching over when you are have an embedded piece of infrastructure that switch is expensive. Mm-hmm. And, and and renewables are new, generally speaking. I mean, got, you know, I joined the Solar Energy Society in 1979. <laughs> but, I mean, that was from the whole Earth catalog, you know. <laughs> it right. wasn't the, the world, you know. Of, uh... There's more beards, and, uh, more beards and Birkenstocks at those conferences back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, beards and Birkenstocks, exactly. Yeah, so people aren't, you know, switching your energy infrastructure, it's a big deal. It's expensive. And up until now, in this point in time in history, storage has not been a great solution. The standard storage options out there just aren't great. They're expensive. They're just as awful as the fuel. Yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about about what options have been available in the past and why they haven't been useful. You know, the original batteries, um, the technology uh, hasn't really changed in a couple hundred years. You have uh, two chemicals or a metal and a liquid, you know, uh, and they're exchanging ions in a chemical reaction to charge and then the opposite reaction to discharge. And that's the same technology that's in the starter battery of everybody's car those original battery storage products they don't offer a a lot and the reason they don't is because they have a limited cycle life so you get to use it you get to do that cycle that chemical reaction you know going back and forth you can only do that so many times and then the materials the chemicals you're working with they just start to build up crust dendrites 
uh, there's other names for it and you know crystals and and they just break down yeah and and also these so a lot of these batteries would require a lot of maintenance or they're just incredibly expensive like lithium ion batteries are still pretty expensive depending on on what size um you're going for and if we're talking about these remote communities like you need a lot of power how much like in in a like range like how much um power does a your standard remote community typically use well there isn't a standard because we've looked at dozens you know we've worked on dozens and they um you know it, it ranges anywhere from a community of say 50 people to mm-hmm. we've done a remote com- community where the population count said there was eight thousand, and they had their own diesel generators to support wow. that um and then everywhere in between so so loads you know vary quite a bit so size it, it can be you know petite to extra large your company supercap energy is bringing a, a rather unique type of energy storage to these remote yeah. communities which is which is how you and i met and started talking so what is your battery technology well a, a supercapacitor is it's really a hybrid it's a cross between a capacitor and a battery and it really borrows the technology of both um capacitors are have been also around for hundreds of years ben franklin in the key that was a capacitor in in essence you know and um so capacitors store charges of energy electrostatically um it's not a chemical reaction going on we actually have electrons that that we're storing but because of the nature of electricity the the nature of materials we need materials to store it in the amount of storage you get in say uh you know a kilogram or you know you know an amount you could hold in your hand is really very small and uh, but capacitors are really valuable uh they're used everywhere for example the electronic ignition of your car are capacitors uh everybody's refrigerator has a capacitor that's because when the motor starts after it's been off you know the you know it's cool but then it's starting to warm up so the compressor mm-hmm. comes on that extra oomph of energy required to start the motor can be too much to pull from the through the plug you know plugged into the wall so they have a capacitor there and and capacitors have this great quality they can discharge a ton of energy really, really fast. So they help start the motor and then they recharge, you know, while that thing's running. The other great quality of a capacitor is you can cycle them millions of times. Now, if we could just have a battery, you know, that worked like that, unfortunately, the energy storage density is really, really low. So uh, batteries have high energy density, but you can't cycle them. You know, you only get so much life. So a hybrid supercapacitor is a combination of the both. We have an anode and we have a cathode. The anode is the negative side. The cathode is the positive side. And the anode is a battery technology and does have an electrochemical component to it. But the cathode is a capacitor. And um, it's not just any capacitor. It's actually a special kind of capacitor that's been developed over the last probably about 25 years 
um, which started with General Electric and the and another big name company called Eaton, and they're developing these better capacitors, bigger capacitors, that kind of thing. Um, until some universities, one of them being the University of Texas in Austin, helped to create this technology. Well, what if we combine the both? We can get more cycles, uh, like a capacitor, but better density, like a battery. Um, it's not the awesome of each one, but it's a really w good compromise. So with our capacitors that we're selling, we have a 20,000 cycle life. Wow. And it, and if you, if you just count, divide that by 365 days, you get 54 years. So if we're, if we can cycle those every day for 54 years, now we have a solution that, um, you know, it's better. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. Cause <laughs> if you're going to go through the F all that effort of, of making the switch over from, um, your fossil fueled solution to something that's more renewable, you don't want to have to buy new equipment every 10 years. And, and you're right. When you talk about the cost of swapping out batteries or storage, it's pri it can be very pricey. So that's why these kinds of solutions weren't really available a decade ago. Mm -hmm. But it, it's being adopted. It's being really well tested. We have systems in place mm -hmm. and they're running like they're brand new. And, um, and if it were a battery, it wouldn't be that way. You have noticeable degradation in that amount of time. What type of battery are you thinking would have noticeable degradation in that amount of time? Anything from a, a, a lead acid and then even lithium ion, you know, and those are really good batteries, but you, you, you can't cycle them that deep that long. Not if you didn't want to keep your warranty. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, I mean, so, so you mentioned like the rapid charging and discharging and the high cycle life. What about energy density? Where does your super cap uh, energy, um, so energy storage solution fit in with some of the other existing offerings? Well, it's, we're, we're in the middle. High quality lithium, and I, I would give that to Tesla. Um, they have an energy density of about 250 watts per kilogram. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the number, 250, we'll use that number. Um, a high quality lead acid battery, which they still use in solar systems, is about 29 watts per kilogram. So 29, 250. A supercapacitor is right around 140. So we're, you know, more than halfway to the lithium stuff and a lifetime that will they'll live past you and me will be dead. So I, I think that that's a good place to be right now. Yeah. And also your battery, what I found really interesting was that it has this really wide temperature range uh, for operating. Well, wider, yeah. You know the um, the the lithium batteries do pretty good. The the challenge, and we we face some of the same challenges that a lithium battery does. Uh, although we have a special way to manufacture, it's lower density. Um, like for example, I have a seventy watt per kilogram battery that I can charge at negative negative forty Celsius, 
By the way, negative 40 Celsius is also negative 40 Fahrenheit. Fun fact, I did not know that. <laughs> they cross <laughs> right there. <laughs> Their lines cross at, at neg 40. So, um, yeah, so, so we have one that does that. Now, that. now, we have a regular offering, the 140 watt per kilogram. We can charge it at zero Celsius, i.e. that's 32 degrees. But um, for most of the needs, that's not really a problem. We, we, in fact, we have customers who, who think they need that negative 40. Um, they're more expensive. So when they see the price tag, they go, well, how could we use the other one? And, and we, so we have a solution, necessity being the mother of invention. Uh, we have a little heating pad. <laughs> <laughs> we can fix that. <laughs> Some of these remote communities that are using diesel for their local grid are in places like you mentioned, like Alaska, right. where it does get very cold. So, and I know you're doing some projects up there with some mm -hmm. remote communities. Um, why why is your technology well suited for this com these communities, and, and what are you doing up there? A community needs electricity twenty four seven. If someone wakes up in the middle of the night, they need to be able to turn a light on. That doesn't mean they're using the power that's being generated. So that generator runs and the energy is being burned. The fuel is being burned, but no one's using the fuel. Yep. So the reason we store it is we run the generator and we capture all the energy we can capture from burning that fuel. So we're maximizing the energy and the fuel. That's the important thing. And then we and then we store what the stuff that isn't being used, someone's lights not on or whatever. We store. And once our storage container is full, then we turn the generator off. And now the community doesn't lose they still have power. They pull it when they need it. Out of that storage, it doesn't go anywhere, and we are maximizing the efficiency of that fuel, so the the amount saved is dramatic. We've done um, analysis, which we've done for multiple, like for you mentioned Alaska, multiple communities in Alaska, we've done this as other projects we have too, and we're saving at a minimum of 65% of their fuel. Wow. And if you got a million dollar fuel bill a year, that's $650,000. For a system that you might pay $2 million for, well, that's got a payback time of three years. I know a lot of CFOs that'll say, I'll take that that any day of the week <laughs> you know that's a better investment you know I, I just pulling it roughly off the top of my head that's about a 28 percent roi mm -hmm. and, and you're not investing money anywhere in the world today and getting a 28 percent return that's an impressive return yeah absolutely and if you're using the diesel fuel more efficiently then would the communities purchase less diesel annually absolutely yeah and then and then is there an opportunity for them to also 
um, you know, install some solar panels or some wind generation and start generating. Absolutely. And so this is what, you know, got me so interested in what you guys are doing because you're able to provide an energy storage solution that is somewhat in like the Goldilocks zone um, of energy density and um, like it's got this huge cycle life. So it's great for some like long lasting applications and the, um, the, the, the operating temperature is wider and it's modular. Um, so like, this is what got my attention around because I was thinking about it for these remote communities that you work in, which are all over the world where we ship all this mm-hmm. fuel everywhere. And of course, shipping the fuel also generates a lot of carbon emissions. Oh my God. Right. So it's like double yeah. the carbon emissions if you're using diesel, uh, for your electrical grid. Um, but then also there's all these other applications that, that this would be applicable for. And in fact, you know, your company, Supercap Energy started not with remote communities, but, but with telecommunications, right? That's exactly right. Tell us about some of the other applications that you guys are using these, these batteries for. The biggest users um, traditionally have been the phone company. Now, why is that? Well, um, so phone systems are considered, since Alexander Graham Bell invented it, have been considered critical infrastructure. And now we're, we have hundreds of thousands of cell sites around the country. Um, the Congress legislated 911 requirements for mobile operators too. And that made a wireless site now became life-saving. It had to be there. And so uh, they can't go down. They just can't go down, you know, and and so all cell sites, all phone companies like that building is 80 percent batteries. Wow. People don't even realize it. And there's no windows. (laughs) (laughs) They're filled with batteries. And that's so because if the grid goes down, the phone system cannot. And so that's that's one application. Uh, the the next big application for storage, I think, is residential. It's both it's commercial and residential, solar, you know, renewable kind of systems. Resilience. Yeah, and, and so you can use that solar you put on your roof at after five o'clock. You know, when the sun goes down, which, by the way, is also when the utility charges you the most. Yeah, that's right. But but the utilities see the advantage of it. For the same reason. There's an interesting thing with the utility that they can now do with storage, as long as it's storage you can, that has the qualities of capacitors. What would that be? So there's this thing called spinning reserve and the spot market for energy. And in, in order for the, the electric utility uh, to maintain the frequency on the grid at 60 hertz, they have to put energy on the grid as it's being taken off. People do not give the electric utility the credit they deserve. That That is enormous, almost impossible task. And in order to accomplish it today, traditionally, the technique has been what we call spinning reserve. So those are big power plants, 
These are billion-dollar power plants that are always producing electricity whether we need it or not. Yep. Just like the village in Alaska has to run that Jenny at night, well, guess what? The power company does too. <laughs> Only they burn a whole lot more. And, and, and the other thing is the utility. So you have different markets in the utility. You have the producers, you have the distribution, and then you have the electric utility, the, the people that are supplying electricity to your home. They got to buy that energy. And when they got to buy that energy on the spot market, they can pay up to four to $10 a kilowatt. We, we get upset when our bill goes to 30 cents a kilowatt. They're paying four and $10 a kilowatt for that energy for that 15 minutes that they needed it. If they're seeing the need, you know, the, the, the value of having storage. So that they don't have to pay $10 a kilowatt. Yeah. They store it. That regulates the frequency on the grid. Everybody's happier. Energy becomes cheaper. We don't burn as much fossil fuels. It's a big win all the way around. Yeah. The Sometimes I feel like the, the, the way we generate electricity at the utility scale traditionally with fossil fuels was just like it was a great solution at the time it worked and it served everyone's needs and the whole system was designed around the spinning reserves and that's sometimes when people will talk about how uh, renewables have a hard time communicating with the grid because it's looking for that um a certain type of a frequency correct and so there's certain software out there that'll make the renewables look like it's spinning with reserves to the utility, <laughs> right? So yeah. you can use, like, so there's all these, all these, um, these solutions out there attempting to match these two things together. But it seems to me it's, it's even a better solution to level up what we do at the utility level to, to reduce the need for this supply demand balancing and, and start using storage. You know, make the energy and store it and then use it as it's needed. That is absolutely the society solution level for energy. Mm-hmm. We just need to be doing that. And then, and then you can go use really good infrastructure, you know, clean solar. Hey, there's clean nuclear out there. You get my point. You know, the, we could have a more efficient, a smarter, you know, grid. Uh, and, and honestly, less cost. And that's what we're moving to, right? That's mm-hmm. and that's what it, that's what interested me about the work that you're doing um, at your company because, like right now, it's like lead acid, and you have some flow battery solutions, and you've got your lithium ion solutions with Tesla, and you know there's a couple other hodgepodge solutions, but nobody's really figured out the real sweet spot of of the storage that balance that balance of all the different needs and attributes uh for a larger scale application um and and so it's it it really interests me what you all are up to because you're kind of looking at it from a totally different perspective and sometimes you know they what did what was it um what is einstein said you can't solve a problem with the same uh, thought process that that you use to create it (laughs) <laughs> and and I think you know when it comes to right. when it comes to energy and storage, I feel like um, 
you know, there's, there's some, some advice that we can take, take from that statement. Um, so when you look, when you look to the future and, and you can like looking 10, 20 years out, what, what do you anticipate we're going to see in terms of stationary storage, uh, on this planet? What's, what's your prediction? My crystal ball's been broken for a long time. <laughs> so, but, but if I, you know, I could, I could say what we need and, and I can also say that with the storage solution, we're, we're actually selling cost savings. My byproduct is a green energy, but I, I'm selling you a cheaper solution long-term. Yeah. But so I think the future holds, I think finances drive humanity. Financial decisions are the easiest decisions to make. You want a frictionless choice. <laughs> if I can get you green, make you more efficient, and save you money, <laughs> you're going to be happy. So I, I believe that as we get the word out, and as uh, we, um, we have a pretty robust manufacturing capability. And I, so I believe that the world is going to move to storage in a big way, but the commercial scale, agriculture scale, and residential scale, and then ultimately at the utility, I think we're just going to see more and more and more of it. And because it's in big demand, we're going to see more development of it. Um, I believe we'll get a lot of our product out there but i think you'll see a lot more other companies also improving and getting more product out there uh storage is sort of here to stay mm -hmm. and um it it's it, it really is a new concept earthlings i know that often when we think about stationary battery storage we think about it in conjunction with renewable energy generation. Yet, Marty's showing us that just using batteries with a diesel generator allows that fuel to be used more efficiently. And, you know, at 65% minimum savings on their fuel, this simple change has the ability to set these communities free and, and put them on a path to sustainability, both economically and environmentally. And, you know, those savings, you can use that to purchase renewable energy generation, solar or um, wind turbines. Um, and, and so, you know, it really does put them in the right direction. Perhaps they'll never remove themselves from the diesel generators because honestly, when you're living in a harsh environment, far from population centers, you need that redundancy. You want to know in the dead of winter, if your renewable energy generation goes down, you still have the diesel generator as backup. So I can understand that. So keep your sensors pointed at Supercap Energy as they carry out these projects in Alaska. I'm definitely excited to see how they go. Now this week, our faith in humanity is restored by a school in Assam, India, that doesn't accept money for tuition. Instead, the students must bring 25 plastic bottles filled with trash every week to pay for their education. Parmita Sharma and Mazen Mukhtar started the school in an effort to end two problems they saw in their community, illiteracy and trash. So this is how it works. 
the students bring the bottles to class, and then they're taught to read by the older students, which helps them learn these subjects better. And the school uses the plastic bottles to build structures and expand its facilities. I think it's brilliant. So we commend Parmita and Mazen for their innovative idea, connecting several needs together in a system that enriches their community today and in the future. So this week, we encourage you to ponder how you could create a similar innovation in your own community as we all travel over 1,600 kilometers an hour on this beautiful blue-green space flower that we call home. Hey listeners, this show is a part of the Resource Labs Network. It's a curated collective of industry leaders who are accelerating the clean energy transition. If you want to find out more, visit us at resourcelabs.co.